Okay, we continue our uh, series from Colossians, but now we're going to be focusing on Colossians chapter 3, and especially verse 1, but we're going to read Colossians 2 verse 20 to 23, and Colossians 3, 1 through 4. So eight verses, Colossians 2 verse 20 to 23, and then Colossians 3, 1 through 4. You ever hear the phrase, um, he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good? Well, it's the opposite here in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He's so heavenly minded, he is full of earthly good. The two go together. If you're you're heavenly minded in a proper way, you're full of earthly good. And uh, that's what we're going to see this morning. Our beautiful position we have in Christ, glorious position, the call to seek, and then the resources that we have in Christ. So Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 20. Being heavenly minded leads us to be full of practical good works in the Christian life. We're going to see that too. Galatians or Colossians 2 verse 20, beginning at, or 2 verse 20, begin there. Hear God's word. 2 verse 20. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, Why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And three, one through four. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So especially verse one, that's our focus. If then you were raised with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. You know, you talk to a lot of people today, and the thinking is that you can climb yourself up to God through many good works, right? by all kinds of rules, this rule, that rule, this ritual, that ritual, that prayer, that kind of fasting, that somehow you can get yourself up to God. Climb up and you'll step by step higher and higher and higher. And you know, and you'll look good. You look good, especially on the outside. You look really pious, you look really holy, And the proudful thing about this is that you impress others, right? But Paul warns the young church in Colossae, don't get deceived by this kind of stuff. See what he says in verse 20 to 23? Why do you subject yourselves to regulations? 
don't touch, don't taste, don't handle, according to the commandments and doctrines of what? Of men. Now, not the doctrines of the word, and not the doctrines according to Christ, but doctrines of men. And then what Paul does is he mounts his opposition to the lie in all of this. He says in verse 23, those things have an appearance of wisdom. Oh, it looks so holy, but it's just an appearance of wisdom. In self-imposed religion, it's not religion from God, but it's something that you just do yourself. False humility, neglect of the body, and he says finally, it's of no value. It's useless. It's nothing to guard against the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul says, you can't control your sinful nature. We can't control our sinful nature, our self-indulgent, our pleasure-seeking flesh with a set of rules. Rules will never change the heart. Rules will never change your heart, my heart. It will never change your life. Rules can never stop coveting. It can never stop lust. It can never stop jealousy and envy and anger. And Paul says, what are you looking at those things for? Look at Christ. That's what the death of Christ is all about. He puts those things to death. It's trusting in a person, not a set of rules, not a set of rules for this and that. No, it's Christ, trusting in Christ. And notice how he begins verse 20. You died with Christ. From what? From all those useless things, those principles, those basic principles of the world. So yeah, what's the power that's going to shape your life as a Christian? The power that's gonna shape your life as a family, as believers in Christ, is not more rules and more rules and more rituals, but Christ. Christ, only Christ. And that's by his power, the power of his death and resurrection. It's that powerful to shape us in the way that God wants us to be shaped. And so in Colossians 3, chapter 1, we're going to see that it's his power at work in us, his resurrection power that's at work in us that enables us to, um, to, to, to work out, or you could say to cultivate a heavenly-mindedness, so important for the Christian life, a heavenly-mindedness, what we mean is a Christ-centered way of thinking and living in everything that we do. It's very practical in our work, in our families, in our everyday life. And really it's a call here to be heavenly-minded. Be heavenly-minded. Cultivate that heavenly mindset. We're going to see, first of all, here the reminder. Paul says, don't forget your glorious position that you have in Christ. You have a high position in Christ. It's nothing compared to the statuses in the world. It's much higher, right? There's the reminder, and then we're gonna see the responsibility in verse one, and then we're gonna see, third of all, the resources that we have in Christ, the one who's seated, seated at the right hand of God. So that's verse one opened up for us today, I trust. 
You know, the thing is, this passage is so full. I had to rewrite it once or twice just because you can never get the fullness of this passage. So I trust we get something really beneficial from this passage this morning for us as a congregation. Paul begins by saying, if then you were raised with Christ, and I think a better version or better translation of that is since then you've been raised with Christ. There's a difference, isn't there? Paul is not doubting, and we should not doubt either, Paul is not doubting their new spiritual life in Christ. If he says, if, well, maybe you don't, maybe you do. No, the sense is, since you have been raised with Christ. The reality of being raised with Christ, of course, requires that now that you continue in the faith, that you continue in the way of Christ. And that's why he reminds this congregation of young believers of their position of their new status. No status like it in the world. It's way better than the status of being a king. We are kings and queens in Christ, of course. But notice that you've been raised with Christ. Think of Christ, the anointed prophet, priest, and king. Raised with him. And the word you, sometimes it may fool us because we're thinking, oh, he's talking to you individually as a single, a singular you. But the you here is plural. He's talking about as a body of believers. You, plural, a body of believers. You were together raised up with Christ. You know, Christ is not merely a personal savior. We have to understand that. He's not merely a personal savior, but he's the savior of the body. Uh, that's, that's who Christ is. He, he's the savior of the body, a, a new humanity. And the fruit of their, or the fruit of God's people being raised with Jesus is going to be manifested in their faith and their new life in the body as believers. That's why it's really inconsistent for a Christian to be separate from the body of Christ. It's just not the way Christ works. It's just not the way he works. Of course, there's exceptional circumstances, but... He's a savior of the body of which we are all individually members. He's saying, you, collectively, you have been raised with Christ. This means what? You've been raised with Christ. That means you have died with Christ. And when you've died with Christ, what does that mean? You made a complete break in principle. <laughs> you made a complete break from your former life. You made a complete break from your past, your past life, okay? It means a decisive end to your old life. You died with him. You died to sin and to yourself with Christ. You know, it's not that your new life is added to your old. It's not that your new life is built on your old. No, no, no. What's in between it? The grave. You were one time on the other side of the grave, living your old life. Christ killed it, that old life. We died with him. And so now we live on the other side of the grave. That's what Paul, so Paul is saying. You have been raised with Christ. You know, by, and that's exactly by trusting in Christ what happens. First of all, his death is our death. 
and our resurrection is his resurrection. And that means then that the power of Christ's death for us means that in his death, in Christ's death, we die. We, we can't die to ourselves. This is impossible. But it's Christ's power, the power of Christ's death that enables us to put to death the old man. It doesn't stop there. He says here, you have been raised with Christ. Indeed, together with him in a new life. To a new life. More than that, what did Christ do? He brought you, he brought you with him into heaven. So we often don't think of those terms, but he not only raised you up with him, but he brought you with him into heaven. That's where your life is. It's in heaven. Now, as fellow believers, look at verse 3. For you died, and your life is hidden where? With Christ in God. Where's Christ? Seated at the right hand of God. That's where your life is. Your life is hid with Christ in heaven, with him. What, what, what you think about it, what a comfort it is in your sorrows, in your struggles. You are safe in him. For, for the devil or for the enemy to get at you is they first have to get at Christ. Can they get at Christ? Never. Your life is hid in Christ. And this is, just ponder that thought for a minute. Ponder that thought for a minute. Your life is hid in Christ. Though on earth, you're sleeping, you're working, you're waking, you're doing, but your life really is in heaven. That's the starting point. That's the source of life. That's the origin. That's where we find our life is in Christ. You know, it may not be obvious for all to see, even for us to see sometimes. Yeah, that, that it's actually the case. We died with Christ already. We've been raised with Christ. And this is not how it seems or may, may not even feel that way at times. But this is because your life is hidden. Your new life is your, your life. Your new life is hidden just as Christ is hidden for now from our eyes. But this new life is real. It's not a dream. It's not hocus pocus. It's real. Christ gained it for us through his resurrection. You know, it's just that. It's just that. It's not yet seen for all that it is. But what is hidden will one day become plain and visible. See verse 4? When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What is hidden now will be seen for what it is in all its glory when he appears and we appear with him. Beautiful. Just ponder those thoughts for a minute. Like that, the implications of that. Your life is not really here on earth. Your life, of course, your life in Christ is there, but it's being worked out on earth here. But your life really is in heaven. Colossians 1 or Colossians 2, 11 through 13. Paul says, you were buried with him, raised with him, made alive together with him. 
having your sins forgiven, having forgiven you all trespasses. Think of that, forgiveness of sins. This is the beginning. This is the beginning of the restoration of all things, the new heaven and the new earth. This is the beginning of it that we've experienced, that we've received. Forgiveness of sins. That's what being raised with Christ is all about. Forgiven. Forgiven, restored. Like what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any was in Christ, there is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. That's, it's, it's passed away. The earth, the earth around us, it's a shadow. It's, 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 it's past. It's in the passing. It's passing away. Behold, new things have come. That's the reality. The new things that we already have in Christ. You know, it's not that it's seen for all that it is right now. Our life is hidden in Christ. And that's precisely why we need to look up where Christ is. Our life. Look at verse 1. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek those things which are where? Which are above. Where Christ is. And that brings us to our second point, the responsibility. The sense here is keep on seeking, continue seeking. And in verse 2, it says in a little different way, keep on, keep on setting your mind. Really, this is a call to faith, isn't it? It's a call to action, to look up, to keep on seeking. Don't stop seeking. Don't get drawn away from where your real life is, hidden with Christ in God. That's where your real life is. Seek those things. Which things should we seek? Well, first of all, we should say those things we should not seek. And the Bible is the best explanation of what those things are. What are those things? We go to verses 5 through 12. We hope to spend a little more time on that next week. But just briefly, 5 through 11, help us with that. You're called to put to death those things. What things? Those things that belong to your earthly nature. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, but you notice that it goes a little further. We're also put off anger, wrath, malice, filthy language, lying. Yeah. When Christ died, in principle, his people died to those things. That's why we can work that out by faith. We can continue to put those things to death. Because in principle, we already died to it. We have the strength, we have the power of the cross to continue to put those things to death. That's why Paul says, therefore, put to death. It's a struggle, isn't it? Don't you find that? These sins that are listed there? If we're honest, all of us would say it's a real struggle in the Christian life. You ever feel that? That struggle? Those evil desires? The coveting, those, that anger, that lying, those are the battles we have to deal with, isn't it? 
You know, it's easy to confess we are sinners. Anyone and everyone can say that. But the question is, has God so worked in your life that the sins you, the sins you once loved, you now hate? It's not to say we don't sin. We sin. But what's your relationship with that sin that Christ has put to death? Do you love living in it? No. The point is, being in Christ now, is those sins we used to love, we now hate. That's the new relationship, you could say, when we have with Jesus, that's the new relationship we have with sin. We begin to hate those things. That's what it means to be heavenly minded. <laughs> we, can, we can read our Bibles every day, but if these things are living in our lives, it doesn't mean anything, right? It means to put to death those things. That's what it means to be heavenly minded. That's why Apostle Paul says to the Colossian believers, keep on, keep on seeking those things that are above. It's a lifelong thing. Are you looking where Christ is? That's what Paul would ask the congregation. Where is, are you looking where he is, where your life is hidden? Another example from the scripture, if you look at Matthew 6, 25, 34, there Jesus says the same thing. He says, don't worry. And he says, don't worry and be like the anxiety-driven Gentiles or unbelievers. He says that because he knows we're prone to that same sort of thing. We tend to become anxious like the Gentile. What shall we eat? What shall we wear? What shall we drink? And then Jesus says, for after all these things, <laughs> the Gentiles seek. There see those words, those things? These things. In other words, their life on earth, put it this way, the things of earth dominate and shape their life. What does Jesus say then? Seek first. There's the word seek again. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. And then it says, and all these things shall be added to you as well. Later, Jesus says, life. What does life consist of? One's life does not consist of in the abundance of things that he possesses. Yeah, he's talking about the things of the earth. Let's bring this point a little further. As Paul does in verse 2, he says, Set your mind on things above. Now we should be really clear here. He's not saying that Christians shouldn't enjoy things. <laughs> Certainly we may enjoy things. They're a gift of the Lord. He's not saying that we should detach ourselves from nice things. He doesn't say that, you know, live, move out of the city now and live in the forest. And make sure you live in a cabin with, with no heat and no electricity. No, that's not what Paul is saying. We're still to live in the world, in our case, living in the city. Think of those words in Ecclesiastes 5. It says it so differently. He says oh, the same thing, same thing, but he says here, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice to do good in their lives. Also that everyone should not, sorry, that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor. It's the gift of God. But you know what the beautiful thing is? It's when we set our minds, when we're heavenly minded, then we can truly enjoy to the full those things of earth. That's the only way. 
we can drink and eat and enjoy our labor is when that's, that perspective is there first. You know, be heavenly minded, seeking the things which are above. Then the other things follow us. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33. So yeah, so what are the things above we are to set our mind upon then? We looked at what those things aren't. We looked at some of those sins. We looked at things on earth that can so, sometimes so easily dominate and begin to shape our lives. And then we invite all kinds of trouble and hardship into our lives because of that. And we no longer enjoy. Ah, the heavenly, the heavenly minded perspective is a liberating, it's a freeing thing. Because Christ, that's where our life is, even on earth, as we're doing our work as we're serving him. But the things which we are to place our mind upon, these things we see in the rest of the chapter after verse 11, which you hope to get to in the next couple of weeks. These things are the kind of things described in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. Oh, what are the kind of things we should seek? What is the kind of thing that heavenly mindedness, right, uh, will produce? By the grace of God, Paul says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. But above all these things, put on love and let the peace of God rule in your hearts and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the, you could say, the fruit of what a life in Christ begins to show in those ways. Being heavenly minded means, really, you're of earthly good. More fully than anyone else in the world is. Think, for example, you know... Is the church being heavenly minded? That's why you see, especially in this history, right? Hospitals being built, schools being built. That's why you see, for example, with the spread of the Reformation, culture flourishing, right? The work ethic, all those things are really the result of being heavenly minded, setting our minds on things above, seeking the things which are above. And as we hope to see in Colossians 3, 18 and following, when we cultivate the heavenly mind, that also applies to the daily life in the family, the marriage relationship, in work. And yeah, oh yeah, in our Mother's Day sermon, Father's Day sermon is coming. I have to wait till we get to that part, right? There's so much application in there in terms of what it means to live out that heavenly minded mindset in Jesus so yeah, and really being heavenly minded, that's the key to being the salt of the earth and the light of the world, as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 16. This is the, the output. This is the, the great practical application or implications of, of being heavenly minded. We've been saved by the cross. You ever think about what your life should look like? Like Christ, yes. You can also think of it in these terms. Your life should take the shape of the cross, should take the form of the cross. We call the cruciform, the form of the cross. That's, that's the intent here. 
It's important to really emphasize this, especially um, the practice of daily Bible reading and prayer. I want to emphasize this because it's not happening a lot anymore. Even in Christian circles, we're just too busy, too busy. Oh yeah, too busy? Too busy to take out a little time to read, to set your minds on things above? Oh, come on, that's just another rule. Okay, that's an excuse. It's not just another world, it's also a good tradition, a good custom. These are the kind of things we hear, even from Christians in churches today. And so sadly, many Christians... Many Christian families are just getting rid of the practice. So important. Table devotions, one example. Table devotions, sitting together as couples, as families. After you're finished, reading just through the Bible. Or also individually, reading through the Bible. Read through the Bible in one year, the whole scripture. So, so important. Apparently that's, what, according to others, what others say, this is where the practice of daily Bible reading has come from, from this very passage, right? It's a way to instill in ourselves, in the minds of our children, seeking those things which are above, right? Setting our minds on things which are above. Are we making the time? You know, sometimes we just have to put the cell phone away Cell phone is not that important. Not really. You can just put it outside the kitchen and say, you know what? This is our time. Right? So important. Not a rule, but it's a good tradition. Helpful for that cultivating of that Christ-minded mindset. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That's a, that's a command there. How that shapes ourselves in, in our lives you work that out, but this is one way that this can be done. Where do we find the resources to seek the things which are above? What's our motivation? What's our resource? Verse 1 says, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seated. He's sitting. Work is accomplished. It is finished. Every priest was standing because things were not yet finished. It's accomplished. It's, he's seated, and that's why Christ says, seek those things which are above where he is. You know, our catechism reminds us that he is seated there for two purposes. First of all, to show that he really is the head of the church. That's one purpose why he's seated there, to show us he's really the head of the church. And second, to show that the Father rules all things through him. And that's why Jesus says, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. He's the resource for the life we're called to live, to seek, to set our minds upon. He is there for your benefit in two ways. One way 
is that by his spirit, what does he do? He pours out his gifts. We looked at some of those gifts in Colossians chapter 3, the fruits. He pours out those gifts, those fruits upon his body. He gives you all that you need for your life to, to flourish in him. Not necessarily materially, but nonetheless fully, experientially. You know, it's Christ who fulfilled those words in Isaiah 53, 12. What did he do? Through his death and resurrection, he gained the victory. He's now seated at God's right hand. And now he has every resource for we need, for what we need in our lives. He's busy sharing them, distributing them as he sees fit, but also as he sees our needs and he supplies in every way. Romans 8.32 says, God delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Second, okay, he's seated for the purpose of pouring out the gifts. He supplies. Second thing is, yeah, being hidden in him, you are defended. You're defended. You are secure. Trust that. Uh, there's no greater security in this world than to be secure in Christ himself. He keeps us safe from all our enemies. You know, he is our hiding place. That song, you are my hiding place. Right? It's very true. It's very personal. It's very real. For you died, your life is hidden with God in Christ. You know, your body, they may kill. Martin Luther saying that. The body, they may kill. Uh, our bodies will die. But one thing, one thing that can never be taken from the child of life, from the child of God in Christ, is his life. And of course, you get your body back too. This is Christ. This is what it means to seek the things that are above. Beloved, now we are children of God. You know, the hidden life will one day become apparent and full and out in the open. One John says, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is in the new heavens, in the new earth, in the new creation. That life being hidden in Christ, that's a promise of even better things to come. We died with him, buried with him, raised with him, alive together with him, hidden with him. And verse 4, one day we will also appear with him when he returns. You see, our life is uh, wrapped up in Christ from beginning to end. Our head is there. Our home is there. Our treasure is there. And what is now hidden in the world will be fully revealed in the new heavens and the new earth when Christ returns. Seek those things which are above. You know, unlike the world, which is chasing after empty dreams. But for the church, for the believer, we're gathering solid treasures, everlasting treasures. Be heavenly minded. That's the secret. That's the secret to living the full, the fuller 
Christian life on earth.